you're listening to Drawing the Line. I'm Roman McCutcheon. And I'm Brad Reeves. Today we're talking about hell again. And maybe we'll make it to Revelation. Maybe not. We'll see. Let's get started. consuming fire yes is now once the fire consumes is there anything left no i don't know it's all consuming it, well that's how that works we'll get I, well, can it consume forever i think we'll get there can it what does it keep does it keep consuming um i think have you gotten any feedback on the first i know that we just really it hasn't been out very long have you personally gotten i've gotten a little bit of feedback on I've, the most recent. i've gotten a little bit but not nothing okay. super because it hasn't been very long we're recording this not long after right that last episode dropped so man we are not it's not going to be a month in between it's crazy right episodes and it was it, honestly it's even longer than we had initially planned but i had it's my fault for not getting the last episode out in time. I thought I was going to be able to do it over Winterfest weekend. You stop taking blame for everything. It's well, fine. I, well, I was supposed to get it out before <laughs> Winterfest or even during Winterfest, and I just I thought I was going to have time, and I just did right. not. Um, also, shout out to anybody who listens to this that was potentially at Winterfest. Um, I thought it was pretty good this year. So um, if you didn't, call me out. Let's talk about it. I'm ready for it. <laughs> um, no, it was good. It was a... Uh, it was great. It was a lot of the a lot of the parents and kids that I took um, had never been before. Actually, almost all of them. So, it was a great experience. That's wonderful. I know my son had a great time. Um, Good, going there, and so transitioning straight from Winterfest into into Hell, Hades, Gehenna, and Tartarus. Yeah, the exact opposite. Right. So. Last week, sort of, we we left. Um, we we focused, and this was my fault uh, to a certain extent. We sort of focused primarily on looking at the Old Testament, but at the same time, we were kind of talking about the concept of hell, maybe more in the abstract in terms of how we were raised to think about sure. hell, yeah, or what role it played in motivating evangelism, or what role it played in sort of our own um uh, or, or what role it played in, in like sermons and teaching and bible classes so that's what we were kind of focused on that last week and so last week roman you hit me with a with a passage um in daniel chapter 12 and sort of my uh, i guess my premise was that the word hell was not used in the old testament mm-hmm. um which uh, you know, just to provide a little bit of background here, I don't think I said this in exactly this way in the last episode, but, you know, the Old Testament was written in, in Hebrew, right? whereas the New Testament was written in Greek. But what happened in the intertestamental period, about 400 years where we don't have writing, is you had the Greek culture, the Hellenistic culture sort of take over um, and in, in Israel, and for that reason, you had the Greeks uh, transliterate the Hebrew into Greek, mm-hmm. 
so uh, when when they did that, so in other words, they took the entire Old Testament, the entire Hebrew Bible, and turned it into Greek. Um, and that's I think called the Septuagint. Is that that right? sounds right? Okay. Yeah. So anyway. When they did that, when they saw this word Sheol, which we talked about at length last week, which appears 66 times in the Old Testament, when they saw that word Sheol, there is no word in Greek for Sheol. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a Hebrew concept. It is unique to, uh, to Judaism. So instead, what they did have was they had this god Hades, and they had this place Hades, and so they used the word Hades, they translated the word Sheol into Hades throughout the Old Testament. And then what happened in some of the much older translations like King James is they recognize that Hades is a Greek word too. So like, well, we don't have Hades and we sure as heck don't know what Sheol is. So we're just going to translate it as hell. So the, again, you can see how this gets complex very quickly, but going back to the original language, this concept of Sheol is what exists in the Old Testament um, Hades, the only reason you might even see that in the Old Testament is just because that was the Greek transliteration of Sheol. Um, but you don't have uh, hell. Um, uh, for, for, first of all, that word doesn't appear. Obviously, there's no English in the Old Testament. Right. Um, but the other thing I was saying is that really the concept of hell itself, even in the way that we currently think of hell, is not a concept in the mind of Adam, Eve, Moses, Noah, Jacob, Isaac, I mean, you go through David, Solomon, you could go through essentially everybody in the Old Testament. And if we had stopped them and, at, and told them, drew them pictures of hell from what we think of hell as, as modern evangelical Christians, mm -hmm. they would not have understood that. Um, and then the one passage that you had pointed out was from Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, where there are these, Daniel has these prophetic visions where there seems to be, well, it doesn't use the word hell, it seems to talk or reference judgment, that there would be judgment or, or that there would be a future, a divergent future of people, that there would be sort of an everlasting life uh, version and then uh, a, a death version or a bad version. Yeah, everlasting contempt. Contempt, right. Yeah. So I, I wanted to make sure we went back to that. I'll, I'll just throw out there, you know, this is for extra credit, but, you know, there are some people. I needed that in high school, by the way. Yeah, there, there's, there's some you know, uh, scholars that think that that particular section of Daniel was sort of, you know, maybe added a little later simply because this was a concept that didn't appear to arise until we got into that intertestamental period. Like I was talking about, about 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament. Because as we teased last week at the end, you definitely get something, a, a more robust view of the afterlife in the New Testament than you did in oh, the Old yeah, Testament. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. That's a lot of me talking, but I just wanted to lay that background of sort of where we were last week and what we talked about that Daniel piece. So, I mean, if you, we can, we can park on that and, and sort of tie that up if you want to, Roman, or, or go into New Testament, whatever you want to do. There's so much to well, do. Well, you know, for me, that section of Daniel really tends to, for me, you know, especially when I was looking at it for the first episode, like I'm definitely thinking about, um, you know, though it to me sounds a lot like the wide and narrow gate almost, um, which I think is a an, another concept that we hear and we talk about a lot. Um, and I, I also want to potentially talk a little bit about that section in Matthew seven, um, and whether or whether or not that's even talking about heaven or hell 
Right. Um, Especially when it talks about destruction. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, starting verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Yeah, and so I, I, I like that you brought that up, because I think that's a perfect example of how you know, it would have been that that is very consistent with the language of the Old Testament, where throughout the Proverbs, um, you have language and throughout the wisdom literature, you have language that talks about life, that, that you know, you can choose life. Um, but it's not necessarily talking about eternal life, but it's talking about like there or to the extent it is, it's like there's a different kind of life that you can lead. Otherwise, you can choose death or you can choose destruction. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, at least potentially here, it's not necessarily talking about life going on forever or destruction that goes on forever without stopping, that it may actually be talking about death, life and death, that mm-hmm. some things do lead to death and destruction, just like God, we mentioned last week in the garden, says, if you eat this, you will die. Right. And they did die. But... He didn't say you'll die forever or you'll be eternally destroyed, right? The, instead, the and that, that was my, my whole point about last week is that you really don't get this idea of eternal punishment because that's really the focus. And maybe what we want to do to kind of break those up a little bit is, you know, we can talk about eternal life and we can talk about heaven and we can talk about all that. Maybe those are different podcasts, but I really wanted to kind of stay focused on the hell piece if we can, just because it's... It's so it's it's not talked about as much, right? right? Like in sermons, yeah, you, yeah. you hear a lot more about heaven than you do about hell. But heaven sells better than hell. Yeah, well, absolutely. Right? I think it's you know, I mean, what you get more flies with honey than vinegar or something like that. Yes, As I, I think that's what that sounds. I'm, yes. I don't know. I'm not. That's a really old phrase that <laughs> I definitely heard my grandfather say a lot. Um, okay, so the idea of Jesus in parables, I think, is something that needs to be talked about because Jesus uses parables to talk about hell a few times. And um, from what I've been able to discern about parables, and maybe you agree or disagree, Brad, is that um, it's a story. And we think that some of them are true, and we don't know if all of them are true or if any of them are true. And it's like, okay, was he just using this story as like an un- like just to make sure people understood? Or was he using this as like a literal like something very literal. Does that does that sound about right to you, or do, would you... I think that's right. It sounds like you're heading to Luke 16, is my... Uh, yeah, there's Luke 16. <laughs> um, there's also Matthew 13, or uh, I think is Matthew 13. I mean, like, there's there's several, right? But the, rich, but the rich man and Lazarus is sort of the one you're talking about, because that's the sort of the quintessential one that gives us maybe, arguably, depending on whether it's a parable or not, mm-hmm. um, a, a glimpse into the afterlife. Really, kind of, in some ways, the only glimpse that we get in the whole New Testament as to maybe how it'll function. All right, so let's go to that. But the right before we do that, I just want to point out, because again, we're trying to focus on the words. So first of all, the word hell, um, we established that the word hell doesn't appear in the Old Testament. Instead, it's just Sheol 66 times. In the New Testament, um, which was written in Greek, we get that these are the, wor- the words where you see hell in the Bible. The Greek words that you will have, there would be three different words that will be there. Um, and one of them's not necessarily Greek. It's just a, it's a place. It's a location. And that's Gehenna. Mm-hmm. That's the one that's used 12 times, 11 times by Jesus, one time by James. Um, Hades, which shows up 11 times, 
which is again Greek word Hades, right? And then Tartarus, which is another Greek word, um, which shows up just once. So the word hell is that, the word you might just say, well, where did the word hell come from? Well, hell is actually a word from Norse mythology. It, it somehow made its way. It, and the word hell didn't even exist until 700 years after Jesus, you know, died and was buried right. and resurrected. So that was an English word that was used to in place of or to describe and now was put in these translations. So when you're when we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16 or whether we look at some of these other parables, whenever we see these words, let's be really focused on like what is the actual word there. So like when Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about Gehenna, which is a place. We'll talk about that. Um, or he talks about Hades. Hades comes up in Luke chapter 16. Or we're talking or Tartarus is another one that comes up. Usually that's just coming up to talk about a place where the angels who defected um, were held in change. It's sort of like a lower level of uh, Hades, a, a lower level of hell, if you will. All right, go ahead. Just with that background, I want to say, so those are the words that are actually used in the New Testament are Gehenna, Hades, and Tartarus. Yes. Um, and so the idea of the rich man and Lazarus is an interesting story. Um, because of, like you said, there's this, I don't know, we get a sort of an idea or a picture that seems... I don't know, kind of odd. Um, and I mean, I don't want to like sit here and read all of it, but well, we can d- give um, like the, the, I mean, the high points are that you have a guy who was very wealthy. Right. And we don't get his name. It's interesting, right? You only get the beggar's name. Yeah. And then you have the beggar that he passes every day and he doesn't ever do anything to help him. He's only looking out for himself. He's selfish. Mm-hmm. And, they both die, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They both die. Um, yeah, the the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, right? Um, in Hades, right. So we get first of all the the view that the the beggar is by Abraham's side, or I think maybe it said Abraham's bosom. In, yeah, bosom. Uh, no, I'm just mean. No, no. Mine says Abraham's side, but I think that's what it might have said in the King James. Right. Bosom is a weird word, by the way. Can uh, we just bosom? Like, it's like mixed bathing. Um, right. Right. <laughs> nice throwback there. <laughs> yeah, it's one of your. So he goes to Abraham's side, but then the rich man instead goes to Hades again. Great. So in in this in this translation, at least in the NIV, what I'm reading. They use the Greek word Hades, Mm -hmm. and so, I don't know, presumably Jesus, you know, this is in red, presumably Jesus essentially used this Greek concept. He's, again, this is not a Jewish word. He uses this Greek concept, a concept where there was the, you know, there was a God named Hades, there was a place named Hades, there were both good and bad places in Hades for the Greeks. Jesus uses that word. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Yeah, yeah, and and I I think that... he um, Well, yeah, and then he goes out and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Um, and send Lazarus to dip the, the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in his flame. Uh, in this flame, um, which yeah, I think... fire flame. Yeah, right, right. Oh, so I'm, I'm using the ESV. So um, I actually, I like that we're using different... It's fine. Um, ...translations here. Um, but, you know, I think that this section is probably where a lot of people um, get this picture of like hell being this like there's just a bunch of fire everywhere yes. and um 
maybe not necessarily this section is where they get this idea that like the devil is red and he has horns and like he's right. Yeah, but no, no, no. But I mean, like but I the think, fire. The, but the fire is definitely there, right? And and so. Um, I, I don't know. Like, this is one of those things where it's like, okay, is, is Jesus, is he just, is he trying to, is he trying to tell a story that's going to make sense to people here that they're going to be like, oh, that sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. Or do we think he's, he's being straight up like this is real. Yeah. And, and so just to like sort of complete the story, what happens here is the guy says, Hey, the, the guy, <laughs> the guy that who we don't know his name, the rich man Um, He says to Abraham, hey, send Lazarus, the beggar, send Lazarus down um, to dip to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue. And I mean, can you see that it's a little over the top? I mean, can you imagine that like how how bad something would have to be for, you know, (laughs) for for you to be begging for me to dip my finger in water and to touch it to your tongue? Like when you sort of think about that picture, it's sort of over the top. I would say it's it's very over the top, but maybe purposefully so. But um, so anyway, the what the scripture says there it says, oh, there's a great chasm that's in place, so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross over in between. So right. I think what people have done over time is they said, oh, okay, well, Jesus is just giving us like scientific information here. Here's how it works in the afterlife. <laughs> you're in Hades and you're in torture. You can see Abraham and you can apparently see people who are beside Abraham or at Abraham's bosom, right? depending on your translation. You can see them. You can talk to Abraham, but there is a chasm or a gulf between the two that you can't cross. Like, so th- I think, yes, that one way of reading this is like hyper literally. Um, but I think, you know, there's another way to read this. One thing that until somebody pointed this out to me, it never jumped out at me when I got this as a, you know, as I was maturing as a Christian, reading this, first exposed to this or exposed to this for the 50th time, is that notice that even in Hades or even in torment, that the rich man is still sort of selfish in the sense that he's like sort of ordering. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hey, Abraham, send Lazarus over here to help me. Like in his life, he was pretty darn selfish. Sure. But it seems like that nothing has really changed. Mm-hmm. So I somebody pointed that out to me and I thought, hmm, that's interesting that maybe it's not an accident that in this story, Jesus is sort of pointing out that this person, um, even in the afterlife, is not hasn't really changed is still sort of the same selfish person and is still looking, you know, not, he wouldn't help Lazarus in his life. And even his death, he's looking to sort of exploit or take advantage of Lazarus. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, to me, um, you can, I read this and I, and I go, Oh, this is Jesus did a pretty good job of telling a story here. Like he did, he did, I think he did exactly what he set out to do. Obviously, like I don't need to like affirm Jesus and the things that he said to get his point across, but I think he did a great job in saying, at least in my opinion, that like there are, and you know, you can see this again in Revelation, which is ironically what we talked about in class this past Sunday, but like to me, there's you know, there's two different sections here. There's two different places for people to be based off of who they were. Right. But what is the point? Is that the point of the teaching? Is the point of the teaching? I think that's a, that's a good question. Is the point of the teaching to teach us about the afterlife? 
I would argue that the point of the teaching is to teach us about life and about how Lazarus should have acted or not Lazarus, sorry, the, the rich man, how the rich man should have acted in life and did not. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that. And, and then the, the next thing the, that the rich man says, he's like, hey, well, we'll have Lazarus go warn my family members, you know, about this. And um, Jesus essentially says, well, they're not going to listen to, you know, they've already got Moses and the prophets. They're, they're not going to listen, which sort of. Um, well, I, I say that. I, I mean, I, 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 I get it, but I also think that like this story is actually, I mean, it's set up at the beginning pretty similar to the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And he didn't really go into all of the afterlife version of the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, like, to me, it, I can see it being, you know, making sense to where, yeah, I think it is part of the story. I see, you know, okay, th- there's a little bit more, like, there. yes, the, the things that you do here affects what happens after. Um, and then, you know, the Good Samaritan is, hey, come on, other people matter. Um, and this story is other people matter. Um, and then there, there are... There's reward and consequence to that. Um, and also, you know, I mean, you can go into the, the the beggar and somebody who is in a lowly position and the last shall be first and the first shall be last and like kind of wrapping a whole lot of things up well, for that, Jesus. What it says that, right? It said that, you know, you got all your good things in life. Yeah. And now Lazarus is going to get, um, you know, his his good things. So, yes, there's um, there's that there's certainly that piece of it there. Um now, all right, so let's let's do this. Let's sort of keep thinking about, about Luke 16. That's not the only place where Jesus... So Jesus uses the Greek word. He sort of appropriates the Greek word Hades right there. He, he uses it. Yeah. He uses a Greek word, yeah. which again, not a Jewish word. So he's not talking about Sheol. He's talking about this Greek concept that would have been understood by Greek people. And I think, again, it's important to recognize that he's talking about something right here in Luke chapter 16 that was not talked about in the Old Testament. Okay? Sure. Okay? So if we back up a little bit and go to Matthew chapter 5, mm-hmm. that's the other place where Jesus uses this. Again, sometimes that Hades in Luke chapter 16 has been translated hell. It's translated Hades there. But one place where what Jesus says is translated as hell is in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is talking about uh, murder, um, when he's talking about uh, adultery, he uses, in fact, uh, like I said before, 11 out of the 12 times that this particular uh, Greek, or not Greek word, this is a location word, it's a place word, is used, it's translated hell, and that is the word Gehenna. So here's just the first, I'm not going to read all of them, but uh, Jesus says, you've heard, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, that's a, an Aramaic term of content, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of Gehenna. And what you'll read in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, is it'll say, will be danger in the fire of hell. So let's park there for a second. Did you? I'm sure you probably took a look and oh yeah on Gehenna. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you want to you want to tell I mean, us yeah, what I Gehenna mean, is? Yeah, you know, Gehenna was this. Uh, I mean, you. I mean, it was also called the Valley of Hinnom, Hinnom, or, or something like Hinnom. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, it was a 
it was a trash dump. Um, it was also more wildly known as a place of child sacrifice. Um, I mean, undesirables, not a place you ever really want to be. It, to sum that up really succinctly, and I mean, I could, I mean, yeah, it was horrible, horrible place that you don't really want to be. At. You don't want to be at. Right. So, and there's been, you know, and I'd always heard that, you know, it's the especially like where it talked about the fire that it had been a trash dump and it had been burning. There's been some more recent scholarship that has said that maybe that's not the case, or there's not a whole lot of evidence for that. What there is absolutely evidence for is because you can go back to Jeremiah for it is that. At, at a point, the Israelites were sacrificing their children to the god of Molech there. Yeah, yep. It was a horrible thing. It's one of the things that is like the most distasteful to God in the Old Testament is people sacrificing their children. And so when he did that, Jeremiah pronounced judgment and said, essentially, you know, bodies are going to hit the floor in this in this valley, right. the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to leave your bodies out here where the, where the worm is going to come and destroy the, it's going to be death and destruction. And so Jews would have known what this place was and sort of what it stood for. It was a, but it was a place. It was a physical location. Like you can look it up on Google maps right yeah. now. You can look up Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnon um, right now in, in modern day Israel. So every time Jesus says, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of Gehenna, um, or when he says, as when he starts talking about adultery a little bit further down, starting in verse 27, he starts talking about if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. So the reason why I wanted to go to those is because, again, do you think, Roman, you were asking about, you know, whether the rich man and Lazarus, whether this is sort of a literal scientific description of the afterlife or whether this is kind of more of a parable. Sure that we don't necessarily take as literal to the afterlife. What do you think about this section of scripture? Do you think that Jesus is Jesus being literal when he tells people that if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off because if you, you're better off going to staying out of Gehenna than being thrown into Gehenna. I just I see what you're saying. Is it it literal to you? Yeah, no. I mean, to me, it makes a whole lot of sense to read that as yet again. Jesus is is being able to talk to people and have a conversation with people where they understand what he's trying to get across. And and to me, what Jesus is trying to get across here is, hey, um, you guys know about the fact that this place is a terrible, terrible place that you don't want to be, that no one really wants to be. Some terrible things that is in you know your history has taken place there that we know that God despised. So like, do you want to be in a place that God despises or do you want to be with him? Right. No, I I'm tracking with you a hundred percent. And to me, like sort of the takeaway to these passages is, Hey, you have to take this very seriously. You have to take sin very seriously. So whether you're talking about murder or anger or adultery or lust, you've got to take it seriously. Now, but to me, that's there's a difference between you've got to take it seriously and um, you're going to be tormented or burned forever if you don't take it seriously. Because remember, up until this point, when Jesus is saying this, we have an entire you know, catalog of 39 books where we don't have 
hell. And again, we don't even have hell here. What we have is a place, Gehenna, right? So I, again, back to sort of maybe my overriding thesis from last week, which is I think we many times approach these scriptures with like a Dante's Inferno version of hell, you know, where it's like, where it's like, you know, Dante, if you read Dante's Inferno, I, mm-hmm. I, you wouldn't have had any reason to read it. I read it just because I was a literature major in yeah. college. Okay. But when I remember when I read Dante's Inferno, as I go, as I started going through it and, you know, Vir- Virgil, um, is the, is sort of the guide that's, um, you know, that that's leading down through the various levels of hell. I remember reading it and I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is where all of our understanding of hell comes from. Like that, I remember there were so many things there in Dante's Inferno where I felt like, well, wait a second, this is stuff that I hadn't ever really seen in this way in the Bible. But now that I'm reading it in sort of like this popular literature, I think I see how this sort of crept into the mindset of what hell is even though it's not directly from scripture. So here's my point, And this is what I was saying about my thesis from last week is that I wonder if whether we don't start with what we already think we know hell is before we actually look at the scripture to say, okay, well, Jesus is actually talking about a physical location, Gehenna, a place where Israelite in the past sacrificed their children and where they ended up being killed. Right. As opposed to this being something where, okay, this signifies eternal conscious torment of people. You know, that, that that's, exa- that's what this means. That's what this word uh, that has been translated by some translators as hell, that, that Jesus referencing a location in Jerusalem necessarily means that he's talking about eternal punishment and eternal conscious punishment. I'm trying to. I want to take that in for a second because I don't. I want to make sure that I'm. Yeah, and and I'll say it. I'll try to say it one more way. Is that if we start from sort sort of where we already know the right answer, and if the right answer is hell is a place where people that don't, you know, for what let's forget about the triggers right now, but just say it's a place. It's the bad place, right? There's that show, the good place. Yeah. This is the bad place. Okay, so. If hell is the bad place, and in that bad place, it it's for eternity, for all eternity, people are being burned up but not consumed and just being tortured forever. If that's what hell is, if we sort of start with that vision in our head, I think it becomes much easier when we read the scriptures to sort of say, oh, yeah, okay, well, this supports that, and this supports that, and this supports that. But I'm wondering if instead we shouldn't start from that premise. Okay, we shouldn't start from the premise that that is the case because we we already know, um, well, for instance, we, we already know that that would, well, let me just ask you, Roman. Mm-hmm. Let's let, I don't want you, again, I'm not trying to get you fired. Let's just <laughs> let you for a moment, let you be God. Okay, all right. For a moment. I'm cool with that. How many people would you send to hell if you were God? All, it, it, hell, all of them. Hell defined as I just defined it. Um. It's a great question. I think that as a someone who isn't God... Or how many people would you allow to go to hell? How many people would you permit to go to hell? Everybody. I would give everybody the option. 
if they wanted to. If they wanted to, yeah, absolutely. I think. Okay, th- okay. And, and wait, and, and let me let me give a let me kind of reel that in maybe for a no, second because okay. that sounded real quick. And and but I I stand by that idea. Um, and that people should have a choice to go. I think God gives us freedom. Right. I totally agree. And with so that. that that freedom in Christ gives the the ability to do the stupid stuff. Right. Yes. You you have that option, um, but that option also comes with. And for me, this is how I view it. Those options come with clear reward and consequence. Right. I mean, we because we live that every day. Right. We Absolutely. Li- we live that every day. But I think what I'm talking about is when we start talking about eternal consequences. Because there there are real consequences to every decision we make. Yeah. I mean, I, I would even go so far as to say, even when there are not you know legal consequences or maybe even relational consequences, I believe there are still spiritual, emotional, psychological consequences to all decisions that we make. Right. This is going to sort of sound like I'm taking an exit ramp, but I'm not. One of the things that I have done in the past is I've, I've asked people, usually it's guys, but I'll ask a group of different people, but just, you know, closer friends are typically guys. Sure. I will ask them, I'll say, hey, um, if hell did not exist, mm-hmm. if hell did not exist, so if, if, if no matter what you did, hell, you know, wasn't an option on the table, right? would that change the way that you live? And I am honestly shocked how many times the answer I've received to that is, oh yeah, man. I mean, I'd be like, I'd be in Vegas. I'd be here. I'd be, I mean, <laughs> right. I'd be going nuts. I'd be, or as you know, I would be, you know, I would be, uh, you know, sleeping around. I would do this. I'd, I'd be doing all this stuff. Right. Right. If, if held it, if there was no consequence and then I follow up and usually these are I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm not blowing anybody up here, but these are like, you know, let's say married guys, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, guys. yeah, yeah. And I say, I say, well, well, really though, like, really? Do you really think that there wouldn't? To your point about consequences, mm-hmm. do you really think that there would be no consequence if you live like that? Is the only thing that's keeping you from, you know, being faithful to your spouse or, or to, is the only thing that's keeping you from not cheating on your taxes or the only thing that's keeping you giving to the church or giving to the needy or being kind or forgiving is the only thing keeping you on that straight and narrow back to your straight, uh, you know, oh, your right. yeah, narrow yeah. wide gate. Yeah. Is hell the only thing that's doing that? And I, to me, I'm, I'm not sure that what Jesus isn't talking about and what other places, certainly through the Old Testament and the Proverbs, I think this is exactly what they're talking about, is that there are real world now coincident or uh, sorry, uh, consequences. There are real world consequences mm-hmm. to everything that we do. Forget about, I mean, setting aside the hell and heaven issue, there are actual real consequences to all of our decisions. Yeah, you know, I, I to me, that falls really well in line with a concept that I'll be honest, I struggle with. Um, and that's from Romans chapter three. And um, I'm just going to read a little bit of it real quick. It starts in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Distinction. Um, and this is the verse that everybody knows, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, and then verse 24 is really awesome. It's a verse that people don't really talk about and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I, I mean, that verse is incredible and it should give everyone hope and, you know, like a lot of comfort. But then it goes on to say, <clears throat> whom God put forward as a um, appropriation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Um, that is a direct, I look at, you know, the passing over where they put the blood on the doorsteps yes. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? Um, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Um, then you can move forward and look into Romans 11, and it talks about the idea of, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing. Um, that just means that, like, he has essentially perfect judgment. He is, he is his justice prevails it is perfect at all times right um i love that section i love being i mean romans is incredible um i mean i wrote it my name's roman so like i get it um right. namesake <laughs> but the, what i struggle with is it that almost seems contradictory the idea that that we are being like there is he is just and he has justified us through grace by faith right but at the same time there still is judgment so how does that work yeah and does judgment necessarily mean that um you know again back to hell back to sort of to the topic does judgment necessarily mean that a certain group of people are going to burn in hell forever or does judgment mean that everything that is not godly is going to be destroyed and well, it's going to be completely destroyed. And, but the problem is that we all fall short. It says that. Right, right. And so, like, we are not godly because we fall short of the glory of oh, God. Oh, no, no. D but I'm, th th that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So can you imagine, can you imagine a situation where only, only what's good about Roman survives the judgment? It's a scary thought because then that means like, or is it right? I mean, I, I mean, it, yes and no because, like, when I get to heaven, like, I'm not gonna know my wife, right? It's one of those things that we talk with that, that like they talk about, like you're not gonna know loved ones or anything like that, well, right? But, but and so, look, but look, that, <laughs> I I I only laugh. I don't laugh. I just I I laugh um, only because I. I understand your extremely literalistic reading of the, like Jesus says one, well, I, there's one time when the Pharisees are trying to I get trip Jesus up. I get what you're Jesus saying says, though, but people are not married or given in marriage. And I know, believe me, I know I've seen like Francis Chan and others talk about how, Oh yeah, well, I'm not being married in heaven. I don't, again, I'm not sure that Jesus was necessarily, this is my perspective. I'm not sure, sure that Jesus was necessarily trying to give us scientific answers about heaven Okay. In, in these circumstances. So I, I don't know. I don't know one way or the other, but I'm definitely not like, and it's the same way I read Luke 16. I, I, don't, I don't know that Jesus was trying to say, okay, let me give you an accurate picture and description of exactly what the afterlife is like. I think the focus was more on this is how you should live now. Same way with Matthew 25, when he's talking about the sheep and the goats, where he gets into this, you know, sort of everlasting fire type of language, mm -hmm. right? It's a parable. The focus is the, the way that Jesus determines who the sheep and the goats are. It's how the people lived here. So I think the focus for Jesus seems to always be here. Not that there's not judgment language, Mm -hmm. And not that we don't have some of this 
fire language um, and, and flame language. But, um, but here's the, my point is that there is other language that talks about destruction, for instance. It, it talks about destruction in terms of total destruction. And at least one way to look at that is that the things that are not of God will be destroyed at judgment. Just like it says in Revelation that Hades and death will be thrown into the lake of fire and destroyed. There won't be any more death. It will be destroyed along with Hades and how I'm not sure how they meant death and hate, but death and Hades are always together in Revelation. So um, here's, here's, uh, let me just throw out a couple of other sort of like interesting things. Obviously, we're probably not going to come to any sort of like hard and fast conclusions, at least maybe in, you know, in, in areas of agreement on this, but there are a, a few things. Again, these are things that just I was never pointed out to me um, before I started studying this really closely. Here's one. The book of John, the gospel of John. Mm -hmm. The gospel of John doesn't mention hell at all anywhere in the gospel. Now, the gospel of John does talk about perishing, like, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right. that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So you get language about perishing, but you'll never get language about hell. How about this one? The entire book of Acts and all of Paul's letters, Paul never mentions hell one time. Not once does Paul mention Gehenna, Tartarus, or Hades, or Sheol for that matter. Now, Paul talks about judgment. Yeah. Paul talks about, um, uh, you know, eter eternal life. But Paul does not talk about hell. So um, here's just in, in Acts chapter 20, you know, you get a lot of Paul's sermons in Acts. In Acts chapter 20, this is towards the end of Acts, Paul says this, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of of God. So what's interesting to me about that from Acts 20, 25 is that every single sermon we have recorded from Paul in Acts does not mention hell. None of his epistles mention hell. Does he mention hell? So, but Paul says that he's preached the entire gospel of God. So how could he be preaching the entire will of God, the, 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 the whole gospel, without mentioning hell? Now, I, I don't, I'm not bringing that up as a gotcha. I'm just pointing out that that, to me, raises significant questions about why you know, we sort of place an emphasis on hell um, like we do. Well, when I say we place an emphasis, we place a an underlying emphasis on it. It's sort of like the driver of everything that nobody's talking about. Well, I mean, if I had to pick one, I'm picking Jesus over Paul. And if Jesus talks about hell and Paul doesn't, I'm well, Jesus with... talks about Gehenna. Gehenna was com the hell is in comparison to Gehenna, Gehenna but, right? Well, but like I said, I feel like you're starting from an understanding of hell instead of starting from an understanding of Gehenna, like that Jesus uses the word Gehenna 11 times. And that's that's I, what he so it's a, a physical location right but i think i'm okay with punishment though like i think i'm okay with god punishing people for not doing what he commands us to do right as long as you're not the one getting punished no i'm okay with it if i mess up that's what i deserve like i think that's how it works 
R- right, but you don't. But but where you are right now, you don't presume you're going to hell. Well, I think I'm I think I'm trying my hardest, and I think God gives grace and mercy. Well, I'm going to do what th- this is what they do on the front. I mean, this is the if it, do, would you know tonight? Nothing doubting Roman that you would go to heaven. What well, I mean. Why go there? But I don't know that you believe that, though, right? Like, you don't believe the same thing I do in this scenario, right? Well, no, but I'm. here's my point, is that whenever people are defining hell, they almost always define it in such a way that they're not going there. Oh, I, listen, I, I'm not condemning anybody to hell. Um, no, I, I'm just, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you are. I'm saying if you notice anybody who is a firm believer in hell— Mm-hmm. At least that, that I've met. I, maybe there's other people that are like, oh, man, I believe in hell, and man, I'm going there. But for the most part, religious people, sure, when they define hell, they would define it in such a way that they've done all the right things to keep from going there. Like I was when we were mentioning about when we were growing up, I mean, I was taught that the reason I wasn't going to hell is because I had done the, all the right things that my church had told me to do, but that there were other people at other churches who were going to go there. Why? Because they didn't do all the things that my church taught. Well, I don't. I don't presume myself to be that good at anything. Like it, to me, that. I mean, that's you're putting yourself in like Jesus' shoes, which is kind of scary and pretty bold. Which is a pretty bold statement to make, right? Totally agree. And so, like, I'm not. I'm not there. Um, but I do believe in the idea of judgment, which Paul talks about in Second Corinthians totally, five, right? Totally. You so know, there's we, tons of judgment. Yeah, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due. Yep. Um, whether good or bad. Yes. That, and that's that's things done while in the body. So like I'm not I mean, you, you get Jesus talking in comparison, in my opinion, to um Gehenna or Hades, right? Um, talking to people in ways in which they understand. We know that that was a thing that he did consistently. Um, and he needs people to understand, in my opinion, that there are consequences to your actions. Um, and to me, it seems like it's not just an earthly thing. Uh, Paul seems to reaffirm that, right? Because it's for things done while in the body. To me, that assumes that something is happening after while in the body, right? So, you know, I read that as there are consequences to actions that happen here that affect later. Right. Um, that's my opinion, but what... But what I appreciate is that I can believe these things and at the same time have an incredible appreciation for the idea that I don't understand God's, God's justice or judgment. But what I do know and what I do trust is that it is perfect. I believe that wholeheartedly because it says it in Romans 3 and Romans 11 that like the, what he's going to do is perfect. Right. I understand. So you're saying it, it is perfect, no, ma- no matter what it was. So if God, you know, came in here and, you know, struck down a child, it, it would be perfect because the scripture says it's I mean, perfect. if you want to make it really hardcore, I mean, but I don't I don't think that's how God works. Like, I don't think God's coming in here and being like, boom, you're dead, child. Like, that's kind of outrageous. That's not fair. So do, do you, I'm just trying to sort of test this out a little bit. So, I mean, do, do children children that I guess don't, don't make it. Um, no, well, Jesus teaches that we need to be like kids. Right. So like, that's not, a, you, you can go ahead and wipe that off the table. Um, okay. So all, all children then all, all, all children, because I guess you're saying a, a just God, you can't imagine a just God who would send children to hell. Well, I think that they have to know the difference between right and wrong to make okay, bad so decisions. You, you would, 
Um, but like you used to work with kids who were abused. Absolutely. All right. So a child who was sexually abused, I mean, horribly abused had reached a point where they knew the difference between right and wrong. But as you know, the, the impact, the psychological, the emotional impact of, to a child like that Mm -hmm. is, is unimaginable. Absolutely. It's not something that you can, you can even describe, Mm -hmm. but as long as that child had passed that age, it would be just for that child to go to hell. It, for for God to do that, you're you're turning me into God in this situation. No, no, I'm just asking if it if it because that's I don't have the answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that you can't I can't answer any question that you have if I think someone is going to heaven or hell because I am not God. Right. No, I I understand that, but but you said uh, before I before I provided the example, that's what you said. You said no, I don't think children a God just God would not send children to hell unless they could decide right and wrong. And so all I'm trying to do is press on that and say, well, wait a second. I can certainly think of some situations where at least me, I be- here's what I believe. I believe I, I know I'm not God. I do also know that God is got to be a thousand times more loving and merciful and forgiving than I am. So if I could be forgiving enough not to permit or to allow a child like that to go to hell, Mm -hmm. it seems reasonable to me that God who is infinitely more loving and forgiving than I am would be in that same point. So I think that again, I know I'm not arguing from scripture. Maybe I'm arguing from what, you know, the spirit sort of leads me to believe about the God that I've come to understand Mm -hmm. is that I really don't think I'm more loving and merciful than God. Well, I don't think I am either. I I, I don't, I don't have that. I don't, I don't believe differently than you in that situation. I believe and trust that the decision that God is going to make is perfect. And I don't know what that decision is going to be because my decision, my job isn't to save people. My job isn't to make sure people are going to heaven or hell. My job is to catch the fish and have God clean them. You know, um, right. like so. That's, I mean, I think we're I think we're in a hundred percent agreement that God's judgment is perfect. I because I agree with that too. I, I trust in it completely. So, what's the purpose of judgment if the if, yes. if if everybody's doing the same thing? Judgment doesn't make that word doesn't make sense then. No, but it does. I I think it does. Well, if there's good or bad or what is due, then not we're not all getting the same thing, right? But are you expecting to? I, I thought are you expecting to get what you deserve at judgment day is that is that what you're expecting to get at judgment day i'm expecting god to do what god says he's going to do (laughs) right so is because i think we talk out of both sides of our mouth a little bit with respect to judgment we say look we are sinful you know everything is by the grace of god um, you know, the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. So we do not get in the scripture supports us. And so we do not receive what we, what we should receive. R- right. I mean, oh yeah. Great, great. That? That's the definition of grace and mercy. Right. Okay. So in other words, you are hoping that you do not receive what oh, you 100%. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that too, at least under that theological framework, but what we're saying when we're talking about hell potentially is that, there are a group of people where we believe that unless they do certain prescribed things, they are going to get what they deserve. 
uh, with under God's justice, that I, they will get what they, we don't want to get what we deserve, what we, what we know, or we think we deserve under this theological framework, but we believe that there's other people who will. And the reason why they will, no, I'm not, I'm not picking anyone in particular. I'm not, I didn't say anybody in particular. But you said we and us, like I was choosing me over other people. No, but, but I'm that's saying, not what I'm doing. Right. But you, you, you're, you would agree you're doing everything that no. you believe. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you're doing everything right. I'm saying, but you believe that you have taken the steps necessary in order to avail yourself of the grace well, and I think, of God. I think people, oh, no, you can't escape the grace of God. Um, but I do think that there well, you can't in hell. What isn't that a place where you escape it? Um, that's after life. We're talking about. Oh, oh so I, during I thought, life. I thought we were talking about here things right. well done in the I, body. I see. I agree. I would have agreed with you on there. I don't think you can escape it in hell either. If you know to the extent hell exists. But okay, so you don't think? But I'm saying to take advantage of. I mean, that's the language. And maybe you don't use this language. That's certainly the language that I usually hear is something like, "Okay, well, we have God's. You know, we have God's grace, and it's available to us. But in order yeah. for us to take advantage of it or to access it, we have to accept it, right? There we go. There, okay, so you have to accept it. So there'd be group a group of people who have not accepted it. Yes, and those people who have not accepted it, they will receive sort of the the punishment for their bad deeds. We would not receive the punishment for our bad deeds because we have accepted the grace. That's Is how that, that basically right. And sounds, I mean, scripturally, I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. I mean, and however, I'll caveat that with though I don't necessarily feel like I need to pander, I guess I'm going to for a second. The idea that like it's our job to recklessly pursue those individuals. Yes. Well, that, and that's what we talked about last week, right? Is that that's kind of one of these huge drivers of hell. It's like, okay, there's got to be, there's, there's, there's got to be a motivator here. Like that's, that, that is the motivator is that we're trying to, we want those people to avoid that outcome. So that's a motivator for us. It's a motivator for us personally, but it's an evangelistic motivator for those people to avoid that. outcome. I, I look at it as, I mean, it's just, there's just different ways to view it. Like I, I think it's like, hey, you guys are you guys are missing out a lot on how incredible God is, and I want you to be a part of that. Like, I I want you to have that experience here, right? And 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 it's I'm not like that's a much more non hell way to phrase. Well, it. well I, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to any. I mean, I work with kids, right? So I'm not like going to kids who have like come to my class and are like, oh, not that I've ever had this, but like, Jesus is real. He's stupid. The Bible's dumb. It doesn't ex-, you know like like I've never right, had that. Right. Um, and, and, you know, ironically, actually, I have I do have a kid who is in my youth group in South Carolina who called me, you know, two or three years ago. It's like, hey, I'm an atheist now. And so, like, I didn't he didn't tell me that. And I was like, well, good luck in hell. Like, I, that's not the conversation that we had. The conversation was, oh, OK. Um, uh, how's how's life? Right. What's going on? Like it didn't it didn't change my relationship with him. Right. Yeah. I, I, well, it, I think that was good that you like I don't know, like I don't maintain view, the relationship. Right. I mean that's that's yeah. the purpose here. I, I think yeah. that there there isn't this like crazy difference between I think people that um I may view as someone who has like is trying, who is like making an attempt to like really pursue this God life, and then people who have had the opportunity and completely rejected it. Like it's not like it's this like Venn diagram, and there's this like awkward section. It's like I'm trying to to reach ev- like all the people, okay. right? Right. Um. And 
And and so, you know, it, it, it's not a us or a me versus them. It's not a I get this and, and you get that. It's we all have the opportunity for the same thing. We just got to work on it together. But sort of, but I guess what's unstated is that my definition, and I'm using my, my definition is sort of what controls, right? Like it's my definition is what controls whether or not there's eternal reward or eternal punishment. Okay. I mean, that's sort of necessarily the case, at least like we don't, when I say we, let's say most Christian denominations, non-denominations are not open in the sense that they would be open to, um, well, even other world religions, let's say people who are worshiping Allah right. or, or, or following the Buddha or who are, you know, Hindu, they would not be open to the idea that those people would be worshiping the divine because there's, it's like, well, no, no, Jesus is the way and Jesus is the only way, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I know we weren't yeah, saying we, we could yeah, do a whole yeah. other podcast yeah, talking yeah, about see, world, yeah, yeah. world religions. Mm-hmm. Like some, some, or, or, or maybe even many evangelicals would say that. All right. Well, let's, I know we're probably running short on time. There's so much more. Yeah. So like much it, more we could say. Like I mean, what, let me just say what's driving this for me. A lot of it, a lot of it has to do, I think, with being a parent. I think I mentioned that before mm-hmm. where, you know, I believe that God's love is immeasurably more for me and for all of God's children than the love that I have for my children. And yet having experienced the love that I have for my children, even more so than the love that I have for my wife, even though I love my wife, um, it just boggles my mind that I, I, I would never, I, it does not matter what my child would ever do. I would never send my child to hell mm-hmm. for eternity. I would never permit my child. I would, if I had any power, if I had any, if I had a breath in my body, I would do whatever it took to keep them from going to hell. Now, I think the probably best response to that from a conservative evangelical um, standpoint, which I've heard from people before, is like, well, God did that. He gave, he, he gave his only son. Right. That, that's what God already did. But if God really does have the power, if God is not constrained and God really does have the power to save all people, um, and if Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to save all people, then it is incre- has been increasingly hard for me to understand why God would not do that. And so what that's got me down a path where I've, I've explored many different uh, ways to look at the New Testament scriptures, the Pauline scriptures that are, you know, that are used quite frankly for universalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, we won't have time to talk about all that. But one thing, one last thing I'll throw out there is that th- this is sort of interesting, but the first four or 500 years of Christianity, you actually had a large segment of Christianity that did believe that God was in the business of saving everyone, that God, that's what God was doing through Jesus. Um, and there are scriptures just like sort of, we can point to certain scriptures and focus on, you know, whether it's Luke 16, there are other scriptures where Paul talks about how through Christ, God was reconciling all things unto himself, all things without limitation. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, that, that's where I was coming from. Definitely with wanting to talk about this because I presume we would have a different, um, we would have a, a different perspective oh, yeah. on this. And, and, and I'll be, you know, quite honest, this is not the way I've always viewed the topic of hell. Um, and, and I don't have any definitive answers on this. I just know that 
it has been very interesting to me to come to realize that that most of the stuff that I feel like I was taught about hell didn't actually come directly from the scripture. I think it more came from these Greco-Roman understandings mm -hmm. of hell and Hades and Tartarus and Dante's Inferno and popular depictions in literature, on TV, from cartoons, from Bugs Bunny, right? more so than from the actual scripture. Yeah, you know, I, I, I appreciate, you know, the, the, the journey that I think over these past two episodes that we've been able to go on that I think is, it gives people stuff to talk about. You know, I mean, like we've talked about that before, like the, the, the purpose of the podcast is not necessarily for us to give a whole bunch of answers, but to create more conversation. Um, I think we've done a good job. Oh, I hope Pete, I hope what this does is encourages people to go back and do this because this is what I did is read every single time in the scripture that a word that gets translated, Sheol, Hades, Tartarus, Gehenna, gets used. Yeah. Read them all together. Look at the scholarship. Look at people who've researched this. Read different perspectives. I read one perspective this morning that talk about on the sort of far-right conservative side of this thing. I mean, the, the guy, talk about literalism. He's like, oh, yeah, hell is inside the earth. It's literally inside oh, the earth. Yeah, it's yeah. with molten. I mean, yeah. I can show you that. I mean, literally, the pa the web page that has this, it's like there's fire all through it. Right. It's like, no, this is what will happen. The earth will open up, and you will be in there. This is all, like, this is so literal, you, you cannot believe it. Um, so you can find things there, and you can find things all the way on the other side, you know, like I was saying, this on this sort of universalism side where, you know, people are looking at things like, well, why didn't Paul ever mention hell? And why does Paul have these, uh, you know, total reconciliation passages? How do those work? How do those work in light of what Jesus says, in light of the understandings in the Old Testament, in light of Revelation? We didn't even talk about Revelation. I know. It's crazy, right? I mean, we're, we're like already an hour in. We haven't even done the intro yet. By the way, we always record right. the intro last. Um, but like, it's, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it, but honestly this may have been my favorite episode we've ever done like cool. I, it was like and i don't like normally i wait to say these things after but like i enjoy the different perspectives that are able to be given i think that is so important like i and you know people might not believe me but like i intentionally like read or study the opposite of what i believe when i'm getting ready for classes with kids yeah. or ready to preach because I'm I can I can be that person that easily sits and doesn't and is just cool with where I'm at as as far as like well this is what I you know this is what I was taught growing up and this yeah. is where I am right yeah, and yeah, so yeah. like I I appreciate the the different perspective and the study and everything that goes into that and I think that's so necessary even if you know it, it's one of those things where like you disagree with one of us or both of us or somehow agree with both of us like that's cool like I hope that you don't that you don't take either one of us and just say that's fact that you that you continue moving forward with with this conversation because oh, please yeah it's not like we are not the end all be all by any means right, right? And, and and huge apologies for any um inadvertent use of uh, cross-examination technique or, or pushy questions or leading questions. <laughs> right. I'm, no. I'm sorry, Roman. I'm no, going to no, apologize. No, no, my... no. There's no, listen, I, the, the purpose of, I think this is going to be like the podcast that people enjoy the most because, um, I mean, we were probably the most blunt and yeah, we we're, and, sure. and I think well, I just feel strong about this. I know you do too. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's because to me, it's, uh, it's potentially, I think for both of us, it's like, are we properly representing God? Right. Right. Are we, are we misrepresent? Might we be misrepresenting God? And I think that's the thing I'm, I'm so worried about. That's a terrifying idea. It is. Right. right? Um, and I don't know, that could be a whole episode. Right. Um, because if not, think about it, if God is not 
burning people forever, but we're going around telling people he is. That's some bad marketing. That's some horrible marketing. Now, yeah, I wouldn't, don't put that on a shirt, please. <laughs> it's a bad billboard. Like everybody like, knows why, it, and it's on Roman, there. Roman, why when we came up with the new logo for this year, did we not have flames on it? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I f- yeah, I don't know. The church logo needs some flames. We'll, we'll work on it. We do live by the ocean, so like <laughs> waves made sense. All right. All right. Waves instead of flames. I agree. All right. Okay. Well, hey, um, we're getting. <laughs> there was the flood. So. All right. Right. So hey, I uh, thank you guys for being with us this week. Um, uh, hopefully, you guys uh, join us next week, um, and uh, you guys have a blessed day. <laughs>